You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Romans 8, 28. <laughs> and we know, do we know this? That all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Do you see this word purpose? Those who are the called, did you see the word love in there? And it's interesting that the theme of these two words that we got was love and purpose. Love and purpose. Without the love of God, you have no purpose. God's love for you is your purpose, and you loving God is your purpose. Without love, there's no, no purpose at all. What's the purpose of getting married if, you don't, if you're not in love? What's the purpose of having kids if you don't love them, if you're not going to love them? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now listen to this. This does not say that everything that happens to you comes from God. Did you notice it didn't say that? Did you notice it didn't say that God made everything that happened happen? I've had a lot of things that happened to me that were not from God. But somehow in God's miraculous power of purpose... And because I love him and because he loves me, he finds a way to turn a tragedy into a triumph. Yes. To turn a disaster into a deliverance. Yes. To turn a calamity into a Christ-exalting event in my life. Amen. Your father does not cause bad things to happen, but he can use them. Come on, he can use, tell two people, he can use them. He can use them. To make something good happen to you. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. He takes you all the way to resurrection as though it's already done. As though it's already done. He sees you already perfect and complete. Amen. What shall we then say to these things? On the basis of what we know that God has already done for us, what ought to be our confession? You see, this is the doctrine part. The other part was the theology part. What God has done. Now here's the doctrine part. What is our response? Here's our response. If God be for us, who can be against us? Our doctrine is that we are victorious if God is for us. Verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up, up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Father, thank you for this word today. And I believe you for a supernatural understanding to come. I pray, Father, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ to be upon each of these hearers today, that lives will be transformed by the transforming power of the word of God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. I want to say four, make four statements to you about God's purpose. God has a purpose for you, and it's four-pronged according to this passage. One, conformity to Jesus. That He might be the firstborn among many, brethren, that you've been conformed to His image. 
Secondly, assurance of reaching glorification. That you can have assurance that you're not going to lose your salvation. One of God's purposes is for you to know that you're saved forever. Yes. Third, that you can have confidence that God is on your side right here and right now. Yes. That God is for you right now, not just in the future, but right here, right now, God is on your side. And fourth, knowledge of the price that He paid for your abundance. If God be for us, who can be against us? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God wants you to have, one of his purposes is that you could know and be assured of the price, that the price was paid enough, that there was enough price paid, I should have said, for your abundance, for you to have more than enough in everything. Firstly, I want to talk to you about the conformity to Jesus. Your conformity to Jesus. God who calls all things to work together for good. Now, what that means is, a parent takes a child by the hand and to show them how hot the stove is, presses their hand against the stove. Do we call this a good parent or a child abuser? Well, their intentions were good. They meant to try to teach the child not to touch the stove, so they had to do something. Hey, bozo, why not just say, don't touch the stove? I've not had to go through everything my parents went through because they told me not to. Some things I did because I was stupid. And how many of you know that you can learn by being stupid? By doing it the hard way, you can still learn. But it would have been so much easier just to hear what they said and obey. I've done it both ways. I like the second one better. I like not winding up with the scars. My daddy said, that horse cannot handle that bull. I said, my horse can handle any bull. He can't handle that bull. He's not what he used to be. I said, he's a little fat, but he's still all right. He was fat, but he wasn't still all right. <laughs> he tried to tell me. That horse wound up push, knocking me into a cross-tie corner post, about like that right there, my knee. I couldn't hardly walk for days because... The bull was more than the horse could take. And I paid the price. All you do is listen. In a situation like that, to be conformed, if you'll just hear the Word of God and believe it, that means you're going to act on it with confidence. That means that you're not going to have to endure all the hardships that come with it. You're not, God's not trying to get bad things to you to teach you something. But if bad things happen to you, hey, He's going to teach you. He causes all things to work together for good. It's like a tapestry. There are threads in it that don't belong there. But God somehow winds up making them look like He intended it all along. I'm an artist, you know, and I do painting and, and, and I, I make strokes on, 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 on canvases. And I think, that looks terrible. Wait a minute, let me see. I take another stroke, another stroke, another stroke. I say, wow. And Ann comes and says, did you plan it all along? I say, yeah. <laughs> Lie through my teeth. It was a pure accident. <laughs> pure accident. It looks like I had it planned. It looks like God had it planned for you to have that car wrecked. He didn't. No. 
But His miracle power to bring you through all this is so awesome. Makes it, he can make the, even what the devil does against you look like it was all his idea. Woo, glory to God. He wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Let me, we've been talking about theology. Let me talk a little bit about our doctrinal response to this now. Conformity to Jesus is not going to happen without a commitment from you. One teacher called the Sunday school teacher up. One, I mean, one parent called the Sunday school teacher up. She was so mad. She said, did you tell all the children in your Sunday school class that they were crazy? No, I didn't. Well, my junior, my, my junior said you did. No, I didn't say they were crazy. I said they're all supposed to be, they should be committed. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs to be committed. We kind of think commitment, commitment and committed, committedness is a bad word, but being committed is not a bad word. That's right. Five points of a successful Christian life are these. Let me give you these five things that cause, if you're not being successful in your Christian walk, if you're finding it difficult to walk, there are five things, five measures you need to check out. Number one, a daily, daily reading of the Word of God, a daily input of the Word of God. If you have time for two verses, read the two verses. That's right. If you have time for two chapters, read the two chapters. But the Word of God, you need it on a daily basis, I say. Yeah. To be, be, and and the, more, the more technology comes at us and the more information, this is an information age, man. And we get so much information, you can get the weather right now. Did you, everybody in the room can tell me what the weather forecast is going to be. You used to have to wait until 6 o'clock in the evening. And we all had to be at the same television to get it, you know, I mean, same channel. But now we've got it on our phone, just click the phone. It's, it's nothing now. Information is at, the, at our fingertips all the time. And it, and it crowds out. Your brain can only handle so much. It crowds out everything else. You've got to get yourself wrapped around the Word of God on a daily basis to be successful in this life because you will start believing all kinds of other things. Other voices are, are so replete. They're everywhere in the world. The world is full of voices. Don't let the voice of God be crowded out. Keep the Word in your heart, in your mind, in your eyes. I read it out loud to myself sometimes. A daily dose of the Word of God. The second thing is daily prayer. Praying every day. Spending some time in prayer, conscious time. You, you take time out to, read the, to, to, to eat, don't you? I'm too busy. You, you see, most, I've heard it said a few times, but rarely do I ever hear people say, I'm too busy to sleep. <laughs> they find time to sleep. But they rarely ever say, I'm too, I'm too busy for, for, for food. Yeah. They rarely ever say that. I'm, I'm the, 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 I've heard it said, but rarely do people say that. I'm too busy to eat. Right. I'm too busy for this. I'm too busy. They're, never, they're never too busy for kids' softball. Right. Funny how they can be too busy for church. Mm. Too busy for prayer. I'm not condemning you today. You know I don't think you're saved because of this. I think because you are saved, this is, ought to be easy. Yes. Just to be reminded that these are the ways successful Christians live. Yes. They have the Word of God in their hearts and in their minds. They pray every day. Spend some time in prayer. They fellowship. They stay in fellowship and contact with God's people. Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> Could I have a good amen? Amen. Successful Christians go to church. Yes. Hang with God's folks. 
Because those people you're hanging with all the time at, at school and at work and all those other places you go, they're not always full of the Word of God. You know, they're not, they don't always have a good opinion, especially at the post office. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> they're a bunch of liars. We'll have it to you tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not dialing, not dialing. No. <laughs> I went to mail something the next day delivery here a while back. And the lady was real honest with us. She said, it ain't going to get there. <laughs> I said, you must be a Christian. Uh, yeah, matter of fact, I am. But it says next day, but it ain't going to get there. When will it get there? She said, the second day. It says next day, but it's always the second day. I said, okay. <laughs> so we believed her. We hope it got there. The, th the fourth thing is witnessing. You know, you need to tell somebody about what's going on with you. Yeah. Why you're not like them. If you will witness, your life will change. Yeah. You will find more joy in telling somebody about Jesus. Overcoming that fear and that reticence. You will find more joy in that than anything else you do. As a believer, I found in my own life, and I found it by teaching other, other people this, this principle, if you will tell somebody else about Jesus, you will find more joy than anything else you do in life. Because you know that that word, that, that, that event right there, has only an eternal nature to it. it, it because you just planted an eternal seed. It won't go, they can't shake it out of their head. And it will produce fruit in them. If you just witness, it's not your, it's not your job to win souls. We, we've spent too much time on that. It's not your job to win souls. It is your job to talk about what happened to you. Amen. And God will use that to win souls. Only God is wise and God alone, huh? he that wins souls is wise. Only God is wise enough to win a soul, I believe. But it is our, our responsibility just to talk to them about Jesus. Tell them about what you know about Jesus. You don't have to try to win anybody. Just witness to somebody. Yeah. Tell somebody about Jesus. If you'll tell somebody about Jesus, we'll have to be alone to this church. Right. If, you'll, if you'll spend your, spend, make it once a week at least. Have a, have a regular habit of witnessing to somebody about Jesus, about what he did, for, what he did in your life. We will have to be alone to this church. Yeah. Praise God. Amen. Witness to some, to some rich people then. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, dude, we've got to build on. <laughs> and the fifth thing is regular tithing and giving. Giving. Giving of your finances. It's a, it's a mark of a successful Christian. What have we said? Daily word, daily prayer, regular witnessing and fellowship, and tithing and giving. Giving of your finances. Incorporating all that God is into all that you do. You know, when you, uh, what, makes, what makes money so spiritual for us is that we know that our lives are holy. And if you spend your life at a job or at a business making money, then that money is holy. You've exchanged your life, your holy life, for money. That doesn't make your life filthy. That's the way most, most religion sees it. Why well, are you wasting his life making money? No, 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 no. Not if you're using your wealth for the sake of the kingdom. Amen. That money is holy. Amen. 
Well, my, God's money, God's money, my money, my money. No, no, no. All of your money was turned into your money by your life, which God gave you. All the money that you have came from your life, which belongs to God. You just turned that time out of your life into money. Make it easier to give, since you know it all belongs to God. I got two or three people on my side today. <laughs> Hope I get out of here without being hurt. Now, I don't do this very often. I don't talk to you like this very often. But sometimes you need to hear the responsibilities of a believer. We all have responsibilities. But God's not going to make you conform without a commitment on your part. He's already gave you conformity in the Spirit. He gave you the power to conform in the Spirit. And He did conform your spirit to be like the Lord Jesus. But if your mind, will, and emotions, the rest of your life is going to be conformed, it's going to be commitment on your part. Conformity looks like commitment to us. That'd be worth writing down. You're going to be committed because you're committed to something. You're just going to be committed to something. I heard about two guys that were on a golf course getting ready to tee off. They're up there. Oh, George is ready to go. Got his left arm straight. Get ready to go. Just, just before he looked up, he saw a funeral procession going by on the highway. He pulled his hat off, held it over his heart till the last car got by. And put his hat back on, got ready to tee off. And, and Ralph over there said, hey, George, hang on just a minute. I just have to say, I do believe that was the most conscientious, kind thing I've ever seen you do. And George says, oh, don't make, don't make no mention of it. I mean, in fact, you know, it's the least I could do. That woman gave me 35 of the best years of her life. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. <laughs> You're going to be committed to something. Why not be committed to the Word? You're going to be committed to something. <laughs> the conformity to Jesus involves your commitment. Secondly, he says, your assurance of reaching glorification. I think God wants you assured by, by, that you are saved forever because he says, whom he, him, he, those he justified, he also glorified. Did you see that in that second verse that we read? Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, we know that glorification in the New Testament is talking about resurrection day. The day we go to heaven. The day our bodies come out of the ground. And he says, he's already glorified you, hallelujah, on the day you were justified. Yes. In the heart and mind of God, it is a, an accomplished, finished fact. Watchman Nee had a young disciple one time. Anybody know what Watchman Nee is? An old Chinese theologian that was, that was very, very much uh, persecuted for his faith, put in prison, and wrote most of his writings from prison. But he was sitting with a young disciple one day in his home. The young disciple said, Master Nee, I keep failing. I keep failing. I keep failing the Lord. I, I feel like I'm losing my salvation. Watchman Nee looks at him and says, Son, you see this dog here at my feet? This dog never makes a mess. This dog never barks in my house. He never, never turns over his dog bowl. He's well behaved. He is house trained and he is my dog and I love this dog. Now in the kitchen you can hear that noise. And then in the kitchen with his mother is my baby boy. 
He soils his diaper. He's constantly making noise. He's got food all over the floor. You go in there, you see he's, put, he's thrown food all over the floor. He's a terror. But the dog is not going to get my inheritance. My son's going to get everything I own. Amen. You can be a trained little house dog and miss out on what God really wants for you. It's all about being a son. And God makes you, makes you understand in this passage that you're already glorified in His mind. There ain't no way that's going They can't rewrite the book. I, I told somebody one time that you're going, I'm going to heaven and I know it. How can you be so sure, Holler? Well, I'll tell you how. I read the back of the book. I read the back of the book in the book of Revelation and saw all these millions. I, I'm going to say billions because John knew how to count thousands. He was there when they fed the 5,000, and he's one of them that told us about it, the 4,000 and 5,000. He knew how to count thousands in a large group. So he's counting 1,000, 2,000, 10,000, 20,000, 40,000. Hold still! 60,000, 100,000, 200,000, a million, 2 million, 3 million, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, 50 million. Hold still, y'all! I'm trying to get. He's in, he's, in, he's in heaven in Revelation, you know. Yeah. Trying to he said, oh, I've got to start all over. It was real people there that he saw. He said, of the redeemed of the earth, a number that no man can number. So much, so much for this little, uh, uh, what do they call it, remnant theology. It's a remnant of Israel going to be saved, but it's going to be a whole big parcel of Gentiles going to be there. I think heaven's going to smell like bacon if you ask me. (laughs) Us Gentiles are going to take over the place when we get there because it's going to be billions and billions of people that are saved. John couldn't even count so many. And listen to me. Who are these people? Who did John see? Did John see? You can't have a crowd without individuals. He was actually seeing that day. He was catapulted forward in time and he saw what was going to happen at the end and he saw us all there. He saw us there. He already saw you there. They cannot rewrite the book in case you lose your salvation. They can't rewrite the book. You're there, glory to God. Somebody shout amen. Amen. I'm going to heaven because the Bible already saw me there. I was raised in a tradition that didn't believe this kind of preaching. They like to dangle you over a fire of hell all the time just to try to keep you saved. Just trying to stay saved, brother. Oh, gosh, give it up. That's a hopeless proposition. I got hooked up to somebody who's keeping me saved. Glory to God. Glory to God. And wrote in a book where I could see I have already arrived. purpose of God for you is your assurance of reaching glorification. Yeah, but holler, I'm I don't feel like I'm all that glorified. Come on, be honest. How many of you got up this morning feeling like you were heaven bound? A few of you did. I didn't say knowing, I said feeling. Some, some say, I feel like I'm having bad feel like I'm about to die. Mm-hmm. 
You don't always feel it. That's why you come to hear this kind of message. There's a, a desert in Chile called the Atacama. A-T-A-C-A-M-A. Atacama. Is that the way I would pronounce it, Frank, in Spanish? A-T-A-C-A-M-A. <laughs> he said, I don't have no idea. I'm from San Antonio. <laughs> I'm just a redneck in a Mexican's body. That's all that is. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it's called Atacama. It's a, it's a desert. You can look it up on the, online. It's a desert. I mean, one of the barest places you have ever seen. Dry. They get less than a half an inch a year. Wow. 0.47 inches a year. Less than half an inch. Some say it is the driest place on earth. Rivals the Sahara. Half an inch a year. But recently it started raining. It happens every few years it rains there. Every few years it, they really get a rain. And when it rains there, the whole desert blooms. It blossoms into the rarest, one of the rarest flowers on the planet. It's this beautiful maroonish purple flower that is incredible. It just comes to life. And you can't stop looking at it. Bare mountains in the distance and these beautiful flowers everywhere. They've been laying there. It's been dry with no foliage for years. And then the rain came. The rain came. You got a picture of it there? You do? Can we get it up? Be cool to get that up online. You have a before and after? All it took was that seed being in the right environment. There it is. There it is. Let me see it. I don't know if you can see that picture. It's pretty small. It was on the news? Wow. It's really quite cool. Atacama Desert. Those seeds were there all along. The seeds were there all along. The purpose of God was there all along. Wow. It just needed the right environment. Yeah. Yeah. Dry earth was not the right environment. Wet earth was the right environment. Are you hearing me? This is why it's so important for you to stay hooked up. Stay hooked up to where you get the flow of the Spirit in your life every, every time you come to church. Amen. Because you get watered. And great things happen. That is your assurance of reaching glorification. You may be going through a desert. You may be in dry times. But I've come to give you some assurance today. You're going to make it. Yes. You're going to make it. No matter how desperate your situation seems, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Tell somebody, you're going to make it. Come on, tell somebody else, you're going to make it. The third thing... Your confidence that God is on your side. Confidence that God is on your side. That's the purpose of God in the earth is for you to know. God's purpose for you being in the earth is that you know that He is on your side. The Bible doesn't say you've got to be on God's side. 
It said you got to know he's on your side. We couldn't get on God's side. He was too unreachable. He was too far away. He had to come get on our side. And when God came, got on our side, everything began to change. Everything, all the hopelessness of humanity began to go away. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. There became a, there came a new sound from heaven. There came a new sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. The same people who had always been there, the Jews were always there at Pentecost. The same people that were always there. But this was no ordinary Pentecost. Something new had happened. Something had changed. Now God did not see man as his enemy. He said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Amen. And when the peace of God came flooding into humanity, the Spirit of God came. Amen. When peace came from heaven, the Spirit came from heaven. Amen. Amen. So that you could know that God is on your side. I, I think productivity goes up a lot when you know you're secure. When you stop spending all your faith and all your efforts trying to stay saved and know you are saved, then you can use your efforts and your faith to help somebody else for a change. But if you're drowning, just barely swimming, that's not a good time to be trying to rescue people. Because you've got to stay saved. You've got to rescue yourself. What if you're the best swimmer in the bunch? What if you're the best swimmer on the beach? You're the guy they want to come to help. I don't want somebody to just, who's still taking swimming lessons trying to save me. That's why God didn't send an angel. He sent the best he had. Amen. I heard an argument one time from a guy I was witnessing to on the streets. He said, he said, well, Jesus had an unfair advantage. He was God. And I asked him that. I said, well, if you were drowning, would you want a good guy? Would you want the lifeguard to come get you? Or a guy who's just learning how to swim? He said, well, you make a good point. I said, yeah, which one do you want? <laughs> you want the guy to swim the best to show up. When you're drowning yourself and you don't know that you're saved, how are you going to do anything for anybody else? There's this confidence that you need. They said they were building the, the uh, Golden Gate Bridge in 1933. They started, started it in 1933, finished it in 1937, I think it was. They had 11 guys fall from a bridge and kill themselves. They had 11 or 12 more fall and didn't die. Because between the first 11, I don't know why they didn't do it, think of this after the first one, but they, it took them 11 men dying <laughs> before they put a net under the thing. They put this giant net under it, and 11 more guys, 11 or 12 more guys fell, but none of them died. The net caught them. Hmm. That's kind of like the difference between the Old and the New Testaments. And you know what they said about the, about the, New, about the New Testament day out there? The net day? The productivity went up 25%. Because the workers didn't have to be so concerned about their own safety. They knew somebody was looking out for them. Yes. Glory to God. Somebody say amen. This is powerful. I want you to know you're saved today. So you can get busy doing something for God. Get busy doing something for God. Not because you have to. To stay saved. 
because you want to, because you are saved. Fellas, date your wives. You'll get a better idea of how you're supposed to live for God. Keep dating her after you've got her. Yes. Watch her productivity for you go up. Yes. <coughs> That's all I need to say about that. <laughs> I saw Israel go to Starry. <laughs> he started thinking. Productivity, they call it now. You got four kids, man. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yes, you notice I got a Band-Aid on my, arm, my hand here. I got a terrible scratch down through there from a staple in the bottom of one of Miss Ann's couches. I picked it up. And when I set it down, the staple caught me and just ripped my hand open. I got another scratch here at work. I don't know how I did that. It just started bleeding. I banged it on something. And these are visible, but they don't even hurt. I just got bandages on them so they won't bleed if I bang my hand on something. But I got one tiny little one right here. It's just barely a red mark right there on my finger. That hurts like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Ouch! Yeah, yeah. It swelled up in the night. Yeah. Feels better now, but it really was sore. Anytime I grab something with it, ah, feel it. You know what that's from? That's from a black cat <laughs> on Halloween <laughs> that scratched me. This cat never scratches anybody. She doesn't scratch the children. She, 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 if she, she, she hides, waits for you to walk down the hallway, she'll jump out to act like she's going to attack you, and she touches you with soft paws. She never, she's not, she never uses her claws. She uses them on birds and rabbits and rats. But she never uses them on me, ever, until yesterday. Grandson was there, and he had a little string, and he was playing with her with a string. And she got so excited about this string she was fighting with it and fighting with it. She wound up getting her own collar in her mouth. A flea collar got it up in her mouth. So it's holding her mouth open like a horse, you know. <laughs> and she's losing her mind. She can't get that thing out of her mouth. Her teeth are hung on it. And she starts going crazy. I said, what's wrong with my cat? And I realized she's got, got her head down and she cannot get that collar out of her mouth. So I just walk over there knowing she never uses her claws on me. Yikes, I forgot it was Halloween. And she's a black cat. That black cat turned into a demon. I believe in ghosts and goblins. One of them got a hold of my cat. I tried to get her to manage her claws were out. She was squalling and carrying on and fighting. And Ann tried to hold her down. She wasn't having any of it. She was so turned upside down. She, had lost, she was just losing her mind. She'd fight and fight and fight and fight and couldn't get it out. Finally, I got a pair of scissors and got it under the thing and it snapped off. Curtis Coker, the pr for, former pastor of this church, used to talk about the process. 
it's even if you're going to get on our, our Wi-Fi here, we have a we have a a, a password that uses that word in it. Process. You have to be ready to go through the process of being trained, of being made the righteousness of God in Christ in every way. You have this righteousness in your spirit, man, already. But in order for this righteousness to take effect in your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, there's a process for that. And sometimes it's like getting your own collar in your own mouth. That cat hurt me bad. That claw went in so deep, I don't know, it hurt, it hurt. And she would never do that. It caused her to act outside her normal character. You ever caught yourself doing something you would never do under other circumstances? Stress, anxieties, bring these things up to the surface. Not so you can claw your master, but so you can deal with what's wrong inside. Inside your own thinking, inside your own emotions, inside your own theology. But I've got something to tell you. You can overcome because you have overcome. You can overcome because you have overcome. You are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Later on in this passage in Romans chapter 8, why don't we turn there? Could we just put it up on the big screen? I want to read the rest of this passage to you. I read to you how many verses? Five verses. We quit reading with verse uh, 30, 32. We read verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up. Let's put up verse 33, and I'm going to read the rest of that to you. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. That is, he says what we say. He speaks on our behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall? And listen to me. He says, who shall? Then he says, shall tribulation. He didn't say the tribulator. He said tribulation. He said, who shall? Then he says tribulation. It's not a who, it's a thing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? No. As is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I, I, I love to tell this story. The story goes of the champion boxer who had, who had a number one contender trying to come at him. This guy was knocking out everybody, and he was headed toward the champion. The old season champion was in the ring with him, and they went at it. One round, two rounds, three rounds, five rounds, seven rounds, eight rounds, nine rounds, and finally the champion knocked him out. The contender went down. He conquered his foe. They gave him a million dollar check. He went home to his little wife, laid that million dollar check, walked in, and there she was. Weighing about 100 pounds. He's 225 pounds of solid steel and muscle. He's a conqueror. He laid that check in her little hand. 
although he was a conqueror, she's what we call more than a conqueror. You're not more than Jesus, but you get the benefits of everything he did, which makes you more than a conqueror. God's purpose in the earth is that you know this. Look at this, verse 38. For I am persuaded, everybody persuaded, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, principalities and powers. He's talking about the devil there. Talking about demon spirits. No matter what kind of temptations you've had, they're not separating you from the love of God. Nor height, nor depth, nor any creature, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. God's purpose for you in the earth is to understand this. He purposed for you to understand this, to know who you are, to be conformed to Jesus, to have assurance of reaching glorification, and have confidence that God is on your side, and the knowledge of the price paid for your abundance. Glory to God. Glory to God. I think today would be a good day for us to pray. And offer a prayer that simply says, thank you.